0: Uh, all the exes, we want to find grace and mercy because we need your help lord we need it desperately so we thank you lord for this opportunity to learn from you to understand everything that you have for us and we love you and we honor you lord in jesus name amen and praise god amen and amen again um, so today i want to ask you a question uh, is your walk a walk or a crawl? Is it a walk or a crawl, the walk of faith? And um, uh, we, we need to understand what God means when he says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Um, if you don't walk, you're not going anywhere. So your faith has to be taking you somewhere. There has to be a goal uh, to your faith. If you don't have a goal to your faith, you're going to wind up very frustrated in life. And uh, and this is what happens with what church people, what we call just church attendees or church people that just come and go, come and go, come and go. Uh, there's a goal that we have in mind in the coming and going. Uh, Number one, the Bible says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So we're getting together uh, in the name of the Lord. It's got to be for a purpose. So the purpose really of the, the gathering together implies that you're under the authority of Jesus, who is the head of the church and the earthly leadership of the church is the five. Uh, full ministry apostle prophet evangelist pastor and teacher and we are gifts given unto men so we're not gifts to sit up on a, a shelf somewhere we're not gifts to admire one another and say how wonderful we are but we are given to humanity to serve humanity to serve and how do we serve? We equip you according to Ephesians 4:11. Uh, the, the we are called um, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So there is a work that we are all called to do, and that is a goal of meeting together: is that we would be equipped for the work of the ministry. The ministry happens to be preaching the gospel with signs following. According to Mark 16, 17, and 18, it says the Lord worked with them and confirmed their words with signs following. So there has to be some sign that Jesus has been involved in that work. If there's no sign that Jesus has been involved in that work, then there's more equipping to do. That's all that means. That means that you got to go back and get some more. Amen. Because God is expecting us to meet the needs of humanity through uh, the ministry that he's left us. There's enough power in the gospel to take care of the needs of every single human being that ever walked the face of the earth and ever will walk the face of the earth. So it is up to the ministry gifts then to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you're here. To get equipped to do work. We didn't say learn. We said be equipped. So what that means is there's more to your learning than just getting in a book. Amen. There is a work of the ministry that has to be worked out in your life. And it starts with your words. When you begin to utter words that God puts in your mouth... That sets in motion the work of the ministry. So part of your equipping is your words. What do you believe? What have you heard? What do you study? What do you uh, uh, endeavor to get understanding from God on? What do you meditate on and and get God to help you to understand better? It's about that. That's how you're equipped. You're equipped with a message and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to make that message a reality. Amen. Amen it will manifest in real time with people that receive that message by faith. And so we have to understand that all of our time spent together is for equipping purposes. The other purpose for our gathering together is for uh, um, building up your own spiritual self. Amen. It's for encouraging you Uh, and developing you and maturing you in the things of God. And so there's an element of that that goes in with our gathering together. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I can remember early in my walk with God, I I, I could remember being in different groups with different uh, believers, and and sometimes i get involved in Bible studies and things like that. And it seemed that every time I made the effort to get there, I felt better when I left. And this is one thing that, that, that God will bless us with as believers, that when we gather together in his name, and, then, and that implies you go where he tells you to go. You don't just go somewhere because you think it's going to be fun or you saw him on television or whatever, but you are, you are being led by God to that place of fellowship. And I tried to think about, I said, how is it that I can feel so much better after leaving this atmosphere? And then I started to pay attention to what went on while I was there. And I found that my conversations, and if you keep your conversation on the level God wants it on, this is very important. You know that I, I, we have a little break time in, in Detroit where we you know I we have a little break in between and I always admonish people, quit talking about raunchy stuff when you get together with saints. Keep your if you can't edify each other and build up, don't tell me about you know what you used to smoke dope and all that. We know your testimony. We all used to sin, but where are you now? And what can you share with me now that's going to build me up? Can you search your heart in God long enough to get something that's going to help your brother and sister? That's our job. That's our definite job. Remember when when Jesus brought Lazarus out of the tomb, he told the people standing there, this ain't God's job no more. See, when we're the church, we're supposed to act like the church. Our job is to loose one another and free one another from the grave clothes that we've been wrapped in as sinners. Some people like to stay in their grave clothes. You got me? They think it's cute to still talk about, you know, well, you know, I I, I take a little nip every now. And then. Don't tell nobody. I drink a little bit. They think it's cute to share that with another saint. That's not what you're gathered together for. Right. See, that might be the person that could go back to being an alcoholic if they hear another saint say they do that. Yeah. So you're not to bind one another up. You're to loose one another and let one another go. And I can remember having conversations with people and later on I would say to them, you remember saying so-and-so and such-and-such? So and such? That was just what I needed to hear. Anybody else been there? Yeah. Anybody else been the person that said that to somebody? Amen. And so that's our job as believers. We are to build one another up. If you're doing something you know is questionable, you're not supposed to do, you ask them for prayer to help free you up, but you don't brag about doing it. You got me? That's how people get messed up in churches, and that's how churches start going downhill. Lose the glory of God, don't move forward, stop equipping the saints. Because we let it happen because we get carnal huh? when we get around one another. And so that's not what your fellowship one another with believers is for. Is neither is it for bragging about how much you know about the word. You're to humble yourselves to one another and share with one another the things that God would put on your heart to share everybody 's a little bit freer in some areas than others to share things with the next person with, so he doesn 't force you to go in back into your secret places and blab all your your business, but he is he is expecting us you know if if Avis if it 's no big thing for you to expect God to to change somebody's marriage, then you can freely share that with somebody because you know what it's—you know—you're doing hard time, <laughs> double digits, uh, triple digits. You know, you know what I'm saying. You yeah. just—it just rolls out of us sometimes. The understanding. There was a woman that. I remember she used to just, she never laid a hand on anybody. She never prayed for anybody, but she would always encourage if women were having a hard time conceiving. Oh, I've had seven kids. That's easy for God. She said, God will do it and just keep it moving. And pretty soon that lady was able to conceive. You understand what I'm saying? So, so as a body, we, we have enough power, gifts and abilities in us as believers. I'm not talking about ministers, but as believers. To take care of ourselves royally. Amen. Nobody should be broke. Nobody should be sick. Nobody should be discouraged. Nobody should be heartbroken. We have enough power, knowledge, and experience within us to take care of everything that's in the body of Christ. And so when we talk about walking by faith, we mean walking in the full ability That God has provided for us in the full measure of blessing and encouragement and exhortation that he has provided for us as a body. Amen. So your walk of faith not only includes what you do with God, but what you do in response to his instruction as a part of the church. So as a part of the church, we're called to strengthen one another. We're called to encourage one another. We're called sometimes to correct one another. If we see you know, you you got a roommate and you see him going out kicking it and all that kind of stuff, where are you going? Y'all, you know, we need to pray. You don't need to go there. I don't care who, how cute he is, and how fine he is, and all that kind of stuff. Amen. The devil's a liar, and he, we're not gonna let him set you up. Amen. So we can warn one another of danger to come. We we do that as a body. Why do we do that? If if one part of the body hurts, the other ones. If if I let you go belly up, that's not gonna help me any. You got me? It, it'll hurt because we need. As many able-bodied, sane believers as we can get fighting this fight of faith. So when I, when I love you, I love you like I would love myself. I take care of you the way I would take care of myself. You got me? If I'm hard on you, it's cause I'm hard on me. Hard ain't hard hard is just discipline folks if you're not used to discipline it looks hard to you but if you will allow yourself to come under god's discipline you find you are a lot stronger than you think you are amen and you don't have to be beat up and and barely you know survive to find that strength you can find that strength from day to day just in your relationship with god so if we're walking by faith that means you're going somewhere amen you're going to church, you're going there to be a part of a body of believers that has the power of God working in their lives. We're not little pitiful people that barely make it through and have all these sob stories, but, but we are the people who change the world. Amen? We change it with this simple uh, gospel. And so in walking by faith, that means that you walk with God in obedience to God. Whenever there's walking with God. There it is a life of obedience. The same type of obedience. He required of his son Jesus. So when we. When we think about. Our life of faith. in second Corinthians five seven. I'm sorry. I didn't read your scripture for you. It says here. Verse six says. Therefore we are always confident. See. Hmm. Now, that gives you a picture of somebody whose whose their back is straight, their head is held high. They're a confident person. They're not weak and faltering, but they have a knowing on the inside of them that God is with them. It says, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So when you walk by faith, there is a, a sense of being absent from the carnal life. Got me? When he talks about being absent from the body, you know we talk about that scripture. Everybody reads that at the funeral. But that has implications for us just in everyday Christian life because when you walk with God, you actually walk by the Spirit, in the Spirit, and you're mindful of the things of the Spirit. Now, what what do I mean when I say that? I mean the purpose for which God put you here. You're mindful of that all the time. You're mindful of, of your time being necessary to be spent with God. There is a necessary component in our, in our lives regarding our time. Some things must be done or else your, your life is out of kilter. You know, you won't, you won't receive the blessing of peace. You won't receive the blessing of, of having that confidence in walking with God. So walking by faith really means walking in a godly confidence about your life. Where if somebody came up to you and said, "Well, you're going the total wrong way," and said, "Oh no, sweetie, I'm with God, Amen. huh?" Yes. Now He's not going to walk tell you to tell me I'm not doing the right thing when He's right here with me. I'm with Him all the time. You got me? And so you can you have that confidence of your purpose. You have your confidence of how you're spending your time. You have that confidence of knowing that uh, God approves of you he approves of your efforts he approves of how you spend your time he approves of how you spend your finances we all slip up sometime and you might do that from time to time but in general you have a sense of well-being with god when you walk by faith it's not walking without things it's walking with things because faith is substance and it's evidence faith is real You can touch it, you can feel it, uh, it has an essence of, of being there and being real and being present. So when you walk by faith, you walk in a knowledge and a confidence that everything that you need is there. Everything that you, you, you lack nothing. Huh? There's nothing missing. There's a, a wholeness and a completeness to you, even though you may be waiting on some prayers to be answered. And trust me, you're going to always be waiting on some prayers to be answered. When they all get answered, you probably be totally in the presence of the Lord. You got me? But but you're still expecting some things. You're still being challenged by uh, the things of this earth that are contrary to us as, as children of God and as believers. But when you walk by faith, Uh, You walk with an upright, confident posture. Amen. We think of having a confident posture when we walk by faith. We have an idea uh, of of walking by faith that's very simple sometimes. And, And I think sometimes it's a little too simple because then when you start walking by faith, you find that you don't walk confident and upright all the time. You got me? But basically in our minds, we think the, the walk of faith is like this. We pray, we believe we receive, we wait, and then we have what we ask for. But there's some things in between sometimes. There are some intermediary steps that we don't really take into account. For instance, if you think about how uh, babies walk, They start out by, well, they start moving their muscles in the crib. They can flip over and roll over. I think I remember all them little steps. Like about five months, they start flipping over on the belly, and you come in, he flipped over, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. These are milestones, so you get to watch them and see them grow, and then you want them to walk so bad, amen, and they start crawling once they roll over. On the belly, they say, hmm, I think I can get somewhere like this. I will not going nowhere like that, but flip me over. I can go somewhere. And so they begin to crawl. And so after crawling, they start to pull themselves up on the furniture and all that kind of stuff. And you get scared, put all them little funny corner things on the corners of your table, which they never bump into the corner of the table. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, you do it. Because you're expecting what? For them to walk. Because that walk really means something. Amen. It means that they are independent. It means that they uh, are self-sufficient. And you want to see that happen at a certain period of time. Because then they got them on the chart. You go to the doctor's office and, you know, at nine months, if they ain't walking, somebody's getting nervous. You know what I'm saying? But in the process of learning to walk, they'll stand and maybe take a few steps. And then what happens? They stumble and they fall. Amen. And that's what happens to us sometimes in our walk of faith. Amen. Amen. Some obstacle gets in your way or your timing ain't quite right for them little feet to move one step ahead of the other and so forth and so on. And you miss it and you sit down for a minute. And so what the parent looks for and what do you look for as parents? They get back up again. Amen. And sometimes a baby might take to crawling. you ever have mothers? You've had kids that'll start crawling for and and walk for about three or four days, or maybe a week, and then they back crawling again. Well, now how did this happen, huh? Then yeah. you're worried, You're watching them again, amen. But they eventually walk. If they did it once, they'll do it forever, amen. You can rest assured of that. I know them feet worked and them knees worked one day, so one time, so they gonna work again. And so you expect them to walk, to get up and go confidently through life just like everybody else does. And that's the way God looks at us. He looks at us walking confidently through life. He does not, He is not moved by our stumbles. He's not moved by our crawling from time to time, even though some of us can can take a real mean turn when we start crawling. We don't like that. We don't like to go and back to that feeling of being helpless. Helpless is not hopeless. Amen. And you're feeling helpless about situations. You can still have hope that what it is that you're expecting from God will come to pass. And so as we're in our little formula of pray, believe, wait, and receive, amen, we can also understand that there are some other situations, postures, I call them, that may get worked into your life and your situation. So there are always things that come uh, just by faith. You know, you can expect it, and it, boom, lands in your life. But then you got to understand what happens when that dignified posture of confidence kind of gets torn down a little bit. It kind of uh, wavers on you. And and then you become uh, desperate and you have to crawl. As long as you're crawling, you're moving forward. You got me? As long as you're crawling, you're exercising your faith muscles. As long as you're crawling, you please God. And so don't ever despise the crawl. You know what I'm saying? Going back to those little elementary things you used to do, those little elementary steps, because it's not progressing the way you thought it should progress, Uh, you will have to do. And sometimes crawling uh, becomes somewhat of a detour for us. Uh, There's a scenic route that we go in life sometimes where you get more experience it's sometimes in what you, you consider to be a negative situation than you ever would get in a, a situation that went according to your little mental program, you know, pray, believe, wait, receive. And so if, if you, you know, you think we're said, well, I'm just sitting here on my lounging chair and waiting for the manifestation, as they say, huh? And then you find out it's not happening fast enough. And you think, well, let me, let me humble myself, find out what's on the flow down here. Cause if I crawl a little bit, I'll get there. I may not be going on upright, but I'm getting there. I'm making some progress. So, uh, I thought I'd show you in the life of a few people in the Bible how this works as a routine part of our experience in God. Don't despise the crawl. The crawl is for a reason. Amen. Uh, in, Philipp- uh, Philippians three, we'll t- see what the apostle Paul, uh, how he described himself at one time, and then we'll go back to his experiences in this, in this walk. Um, Philippians 3 I think I'm starting in verse 4 though I might also have confidence in the flesh if any other man thinks that he has something that he might trust in the flesh I have more in other words I'm a person that has great confidence in my own ability. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those things I count for loss of Christ. I counted loss for Christ. Yes, doubtless, I count all things loss, but for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but trash that I may win Christ. So what God is doing in our lives as we make our way through confidently here, the apostle Paul, now you got to understand he's. At the time he's speaking about it, the confidence that he's talking about, now that he is in Christ, is considered to be fleshly, but before Christ came it was it was superior spiritual, you know, it was a walk with God. So he walked with God as a religious Jew and as a Pharisee, and that walk Gave him a confidence, gave him ability, gave him status, gave him stature. That's why we like to share our testimony because when, and this is just a small part of it, but I just believe when you share your testimony, not only it builds up the church, but it builds you up too. And and I think it gives God glory when we share testimony because it, it then opens up the door for others to believe. The Bible says a spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you may find that just as you uh, shared your testimony, it happens exactly that way in another person's life. I remember, <laughs> remember Nene. God rest her little soul. She's up in heaven with the Lord, no problems whatsoever. But I remember sharing my testimony about uh, having uh, my car. When I, I got my car, we bought it used. We always bought them used. My husband was, you know, he was on the money. If he told you it was time to buy something, you thought, huh? <laughs> because, you know, it happened every day. And um, But he he would figure out the, the um best time to buy vehicles. See, when we were young and didn't have each other in responsibility, we bought them new off the lot because that was the thing to do. But that was back in the 70s, you know what I'm saying? And the 80s come with sticker shock and all this, you know, imported steel and aluminum and all this kind of stuff. It just drove the price of vehicles so sky high. We decided that we would wait. We'd had new See, when you have new, it's not a thing to you anymore. So we'd had new. So now we want to go for wise. And so we found out that if you buy a car at, at three years of age, you still have the basic powertrain warranty. You got at least two years on that. But also, that car has dropped to half the original sticker price. So somebody else ate that up. You didn't have to pay for that. And so we fear let the other guy pay for that that de- uh, depreciation, and we just get it at the prime time. And then if you, know, if you buy cash or you take a few years to pay for it, you buy another one in three or four years, so you're out of debt. And so we figured that for us that was the best way uh, to go ahead and purchase. Well, we purchased it uh, from a private owner, which was not a bad thing because it was only three years old. But what happened... Uh, about a week after I got it was the transmission went out, and uh, we called the dealership and they wanted to tell us I think that car it might have been a, a four four year warranty that car was probably four four and something, but it was a month out of the powertrain warranty and so when we talked to to the dealership, they told us uh, that that they couldn't do anything. When you talk to them, they can never do anything. But when you call the manufacturer, you know, and the little books they give you, they have a customer helpline in the back. So we call GM customer helpline, and we told them our situation. And and what I told them was something like this. Now, listen, I know y'all better make a better car than this. I said, you're not going to tell me this transmission is supposed to go out on your vehicle. You make the top vehicle at GM. You can't tell me this is it. Yes, ma'am, you're absolutely right. We do make a superior vehicle. You understand what I'm saying? And and you don't cuss people out and you don't get on there telling them I, I get my posse to come there. Where you at? What city you in? It's eight hundred number this could be anywhere. Wisdom. Huh? And so they replaced the transmission. We, they paid for it. They had us, they charged us a thousand dollar deductible for the labor. Amen. And so we, everybody's happy, happy. Then a month later it goes out again. Wow. So this one they did the whole job by themselves. I'm not going in my pocket twice like that. You understand? For anything. And so we were able to get, and I drive that car now it has been 23 years ago. And never, Motor's still good. Everything's still good. Amen. Praise God. So I tell this testimony. ain't sitting there. Instead of sleeping for a change, she's taking notes. And so she was driving her car, and it went out on her, and she called some people. She found a little customer help, in her back. Pastor Bob, I found that little book you said was in my glove compartment. <laughs> she called them and sure enough, they took care of her and it was a sizable problem. They took care of it totally. Why? The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. She received that as a prophecy to her. And she knew that it would repeat in her life. If God was in it any kind of way, she could do the same thing and get the same results. Amen. And so in that way, a testimony glorifies God. This has nothing to do with my superior ability to slick people out of stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Because if God doesn't open a door for one of his children, that door will not be open. But the way you can prove it is God is that it'll be repeated in the life of people over and over and over again. Amen? And so God is able to do these things as we walk by faith in him. Amen? I tell people all the time, I keep my car as clean as somebody my age can keep it. You know, I take care of it. I don't put crazy stuff on the radio. Amen? I'm not trying to make it a walking boom box and... You know, and, and a low rider and a high rider. Put all them hydraulics on. And <laughs> no, we just, it's transportation. That's what a car is, a transportation. But it has lasted, um, it's a 1996, what's that, 20, 20 years, 21 years, 22 years? Uh, let's keep, quick counting, I'm going to get older myself. But you know what I'm saying, it, it, it will last forever, and I have not put anything major in it. You got me. So, so in this a blessing, it really, really is a blessing. I don't want to keep coming out of my pocket for the same things. I feel they should last forever. And so when, when God, when you walk with God though, there are certain things that will kind of work like clockwork for you. If you will, will, will take those experiences and do with them what God wants you to do with them, your life will work like clockwork. And when I say clockwork, I mean everything's on time, nothing's late, nothing's diminished. It's the way God intended it for you and exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. And so we want our lives to be rich. We want them to be full. We want them to be worry-free. And so that's what your walk of faith will do. So the Apostle Paul was was up on the 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 scale as far as his religious life according to the old testament law was concerned he even persecuted the church that's how zealous he was so he was on top of the religious hierarchy being a pharisee so under the old covenant this was an enviable walk with god so he was able to have a dignity a stature all of these things but then there came a time for him to get promoted into where god wanted him to be see that was okay for him while it was god there was a time where it was god but now that christ has come and has been raised from the dead it's a whole new ball game so how do you get somebody into a whole new ball game you have to knock them down and get them to crawl first amen and so that 's all that happens to us believers when God begins to put us into a new you know how people say um, you 're in transition what's one the mother what other cliche Christian words shifting that 's what it is yes, I can feel a shifting in your life in. For me, that means uh, something's going to (laughs) leave. If we don't have something new come in, something's going to have to leave. You understand what I'm saying? Because pretty much we're all booked up and all filled up with everything. So when God wants to, the Bible says he removes the old so that the new, you know, always replacing with better things. When the two covenants, the old covenant Uh, was was replaced by a better one so don't ever think when things leave your life now i'm not talking about you kicking stuff out there's a difference things can leave your life you know you're just trying to hold on and they keep slipping it's leaving your life and so and god wants us to hold on to the things he's given us but not beyond where he wants to replace them with other things. So you have to look at what God's doing and understand that he wants to replace things in our lives with things that, that we will need in the future, because you're not the same person every day. You're changing on the inside, so he has to bring new things to accommodate that change. Sometimes he will change your ministry. He'll change the way you do things, the way you minister to people, the way you speak to people, etc., etc. And so you have to sometimes he will have to move some things out to move some things in. So Paul had an enviable walk with God until Jesus met him one day. That's in Acts chapter four. I'm sorry, Acts chapter nine on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute some more Christians. The Bible says he had papers <laughs> uh, allowing him to have these people arrested for blasphemy. That's usually what it was. They weren't serving God the right way. And so that's what that was the, the trumped up charge he got everybody on. So this is where Paul begins to crawl. And verse 9, verse 1, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to all the synagogues, that if he found any Christians, any of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem for what they considered to be a trial. Which is a mockery. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus takes it personally when you persecute his people. You're not persecuting people. You're persecuting him. And he will exercise judgment on people when he's had enough got me you can only be stupid and ignorant for so long after a while you're malicious and you need to be dealt with you got me and so then god and only god knows that time and he said and he said who are you lord and the lord said to him i am jesus whom you persecute he said it's hard for you to kick against the pricks Persecutors have a hard way, folks. Don't don't ever think that they're living a life of Riley or whatever you want to call it, a life of ease and life of fun, if they're picking at Christians. Yes. They have no peace. They know that if if, say, for instance, in their downtime when they're not angry at you, they feel convicted because they know they're doing wrong, right. and they have a suspicion that if If this God that you serve is really who he says he is, what's that going to mean for me? But they quickly push that thought out of their heads and go on to something else. And so this is the life that Paul was living. And so Jesus got him to confess or agree that it was hard for him to fight against him. You got me? So Paul really went from having a dignified life where he was the top Pharisee in the synagogue and all this kind of stuff. And all the Christians were scared of him to now he's knocked off of his high horse and he's down on the ground, getting ready to crawl. And I mean, literally, because if you can't see, that's how you get around. Huh? You, you want to get where you can feel something and know where it's at. And so for him, crawling was where he started his life, his, his new uh, his transition or shifting this is way he shifted honey hit the flow hit the ground hard and shifted and so he said it's hard for you to kick against the pricks Huh? It's, you know picture a a horse that's really what it was pricks were spurs or goads they would have a stick sometimes with the pointed end to it and they would and if a horse wouldn't settle down, they would hit him with that goad, and he would kick and kick, and pretty soon he gets tired. And he said, "Well, let me just go and do what these people are telling me to do." And so that's that's the way he considered uh, Saul to be like a wild horse, hey? a wild donkey, and he pricked him and pricked him until he got him subdued. For those of you who think certain people won't never get saved. Huh? Cause they too rough and they too this and they too that. They can prick and prick and prick. Huh? See, some people are, are having a hard time because they're kicking against God's pricking them. Amen? So you gotta let them, just let them, you know, kick until they get tired. Huh? Don't, don't go and stop it. Let God have His way and do what He's doing. And He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me do? Oh, really, Paul, that from the great Paul who hates Jesus and hates the Christians and hates everybody. That sounds pretty submissive to me. And he says, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said to him, get up, go into the city and it will be told you what you must do. In other words, Paul, you ain't running your mouth no more. You ain't running stuff no more. Uh, You go do what I tell you until somebody comes to you and helps you out. Mm -hmm. And this is what the crawl is all about in our lives. When God gets us to the place where he wants us, he will strip us of everything sometimes that we can use to help ourselves with. You'll wonder why these things that used to be so easy for you, all of a sudden you can't get this done that quick and you can't get that done and this I've tried to go through this open door. I applied for this job and it didn't take me anywhere. And I applied for that one. And everybody else is like Jack Ma have <laughs> sad little testimony. But I appreciate the brother so much because he didn't quit. He said, I applied for what you say, Walmart or K Martyr. Or- McDonald's or somebody, he said they had 23 applications, no, 24 people applied, they hired 23, I was the one person they did. I mean, he would get in situations, everybody got a job, everybody got something, and they left him just, but we don't get rejected, we don't quit. I said, huh? <laughs> he has some don't quit in him, amen? Yes. So we usually, God won't usually test us to the if, like, unless he has something really, uh, to do for us to do that will require that level of of submission but but you know he usually give us something to encourage us with but this brother did have nothing but anyway so paul begins crawling at jesus command this is where the lord wanted him to be for that time and he told him to go into a city and it will be told you what you must do and the men that journeyed with him stood speechless hearing a voice but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, and they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and he did neither eat nor drink. Now any good Pharisee will know that when God done struck you blind, you don't touch nothing. Uh, it's time for the sackcloth, the ashes, you bring out the old Hebrew tricks, you know what I'm saying, fasting, and you know what I'm saying, just sitting there waiting blind. Ain't ate nothing, ain't drank nothing. Huh? Cause you don't want to miss God. While you're enjoying your meal, God might want to move. Think about it. When you feed your flesh, your attention is diverted away from, you know, this man wants to get his heap waiting in, uh, uh, patiently to hear when he get his eyes back. Amen. Amen. And so it, that's a walk of faith to a degree. He's expecting God to tell him something. You don't see him saying after three days, he said, well, God ain't going to do nothing, you know, or two days or one day like we do, huh? We ask God to do something. If it don't happen in, in a week or two. We ready to throw in the towel, throw a little tantrum, have a fit. Paul said, no, nah, I ain't going there. I know what I need to do. I'm going to sit there. I've been this road before. At least he had some, some good Hebrew habits he brought along with him. The sackcloth and the ashes always work. Amen. Turning that plate down always worked for them. And that's what he did. Amen. You do what you know. Amen. And so that's what he did. And so there in verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias is said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street, which is called straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Amen. He is praying. That's what your crawl is all about, to get you to praying, to get you to seeking God, to get not asking for the same thing over and over again. But if you see that's at a standstill, your next prayer should be, well, God, what do I focus on now, seeing as how I'm not going to throw a party about you giving me this real quick. You understand what I'm saying? You got to have something else for me to do for you until that time comes. And oftentimes people discover their ministry in that, that time of crawling and, and getting to understand God in a deeper fashion than just wanting to do business as usual and have your usual fun that you usually have. So he's there and, and uh, he's praying and, and the Lord prepares somebody trustworthy who will come to him and give him the answer. And that's what he prepares for all of us. When you're in your crawl, Or you don't have an answer, and you don't, God will lead you to somebody or lead somebody to you and to your life who is trustworthy and can give you the right answer that God has prepared for you. You notice Saul didn't go around asking everybody because he was blind. Did God tell you something for me? you, mm, 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 mm. You turn the plate down, you empty the glass, and you pray. You got me? You do what you need to do to hear from God, to get next to God, to find out when your relief is going. What's next, God? I'm here. I'm waiting on you. And so uh, it's, God told him, he said, A man named Ananias has seen you in a vision, uh, in in uh, coming in and putting his own hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Amen. And so then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many things of this man. So Ananias is in danger that if this is not God talking to him, Saul is the one who's looking for people like Ananias to put him in jail. Amen. So here Ananias has to get knocked down a few pegs. He'd been a comfortable little Christian in his house and, you know, doing miracles, signs and wonders, preaching the gospel, all the stuff that the disciples were engaged in at that time. Then all of a sudden that's put in jeopardy. And he's like, "Well, God, what did I do wrong? How come I gotta get somebody else? Well, I know another brother over there. He might like to wrestle. I, in fact, he been bragging about what he gonna do if Saul. Show up in here. He it's the wrong house for Saul to come to. So get the brother that's out there bragging about what he gonna do to Saul if he shows up in his house, huh? Don't pick me. So here he got Ananias crawling now." Everybody's got to humble themselves in order to do real work for God. And he says, I've heard many things of this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go your way for he is a chosen vessel unto me. This man is important. For the work that I have for him. You can trust me to send you to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So, in other words, Ananias, if you want the job I'm going to give Saul, then stay home. But if you don't want the suffering in the Going here and there and everywhere and all of that. Go pray for that man. See, people we pray for sometimes spare us from the discomfort of having to go into places that we just ain't suited for. You understand me? Now, there's some people that are called, and I will go anywhere that God calls me to go. But just in my head right now, just thinking, I don't want to go to no jail. Just saying. Just but if the grace is there, I'll go. But just me by myself, I don't just sit up dreaming doing that, you know. You no, know, send me to Beechwood, somebody's penthouse with a nice elevator and a doorman. You know what I'm saying? What do I need? Send me a car to pick me up. I ain't driving. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, just me. So we have to do some things sometimes in the name of the Lord, you got me, that are not pleasing in in how we envision ourselves responding, even though we're servants of God and we love the Lord and, you know, love you (laughs) so much. You got me? Now, there are some people who that's in their vision, that's in their call. They are graced to do that. And so if if that's in your vision and call, don't be offended because that's something somebody some people tell me, they say, I don't know how you travel every weekend. I say, Well, I don't even notice I'm gone anywhere. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's a routine. It's part of the call. So so you do those like pastors will think. It's just crazy to just get up and move a meeting, you know. Oh, what are you gonna do? You lose people. I said they can hang on if they want to if they won 't stay home, they do that too. You understand what i'm saying, but i'm I'm moving i'm being obedient to what god's called me to do, and so they're different, but there is a grace trust me, there's a grace for everybody to be where they're supposed to be when God tells them to be there, and so we want to find that grace as part of walking by faith and so here's ananias putting he's put in a tough position. In verse 17, he went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, (laughs) like this. (laughs) "Uh, Brother Saul. (laughs) And then halfway, you know how, just touch him. You understand what I'm saying? But I told you, fall in love with him. Just go touch him. And he says, Uh, (laughs) I put that in Uh, putting his hands on him said brother Saul the Lord even Jesus has appeared to you in the way that you came sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost and immediately glad he didn't waste no time now God don't get me in one of them Terry situations where I got to sit here and hug him and rock him and just fill him real quick so it was immediately That was the way it was done really in that early church life. There was that kind of faith on those people to get the immediate all the time. So immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales and he received his sight right away and arose and was baptized. So he still submitted to the believers there. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Amen. So he found his fellowship immediately with the believers. He didn't go back to the synagogue to be with those people. So there was a life-changing event because he crawled. These crawling experiences are life-changing. And sometimes God needs to have somebody submit to a drastic change in their life so that he can get another servant into the earth to do his will. So then Paul goes and he preaches. Uh, he, He goes back. He's at Damascus and he preaches to the church there. Verse 21, all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came here for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus. God can. This is this is turning water into wine. This is what the symbolic the symbolism of uh, Jesus' first miracle at Cana, where he turned the water into wine. Water is symbolic of water baptism, old covenant theology, all of the things that were true about God up until that point were water. Why were they water? They kept you hydrated and kept you going, but they didn't send you to the moon. Huh? Wine is what sends you to the moon. You got me? And so there is a wine of the spirit of God that intoxicates his people to the point where they're not themselves anymore. Oh, you ex-alcoholic sitting up here trying to act all highfalutin, Huh? What does 215 mean? You better tell her sit up there <laughs> Locking her lips and pushing the keyway. Huh? Last call for alcohol, right, poppy? That's right. You know it, huh? Bars close at two thirty, they want their last money they last call for alcohol. Huh? You want anything speak up now if I ever hold your peace. But they do have ass hours joint in the basement, so they'll take you down there. (laughs) You might have to fight your way in and out of there, but you can go drink. Uh Huh? (laughs) Yeah. So you want to be sent through the moon. Huh? Some of you, some of you guys, ain't but one in here now. Where's Cece when I need him? He never, some of y'all guys do your best rap when you done had some alcohol and get some alcohol in her. Huh? Y'all are going anywhere and do anything in the name of fun once you get enough liquor in you. Well, that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to have the wine of the Holy Spirit. So we'll go anywhere, do anything he tells us to do. Huh? Remember that? I better loosen myself up a little bit. A couple of drinks. That's why they call it happy hour, huh? Yep, yeah. you'd be a whole lot more fun than you was with all that reality of your job on you, huh? Because that was all we had. Paul said a little wine for your stomach's sake, but I know Timothy was knocking them back. Stomach hair, right? Stomach hair, huh? Till your head get buzzed. Huh? Everybody looks good to you? Huh? This is true. When you're drunk, you talk to people you wouldn't give the time of day sober. Well, what do you think God's doing with us? He gets you drunk on the Holy Ghost. You'll go up to a rank stranger and tell him Jesus loves you. I don't know what's gotten into me, but I just need to tell you that. Just God just wants you to know you're full of love, joy, and peace. Huh? Pray in tongues till you get dizzy. And then sober up and pray in tongues some more. Uh That's why a lot of times your praying in tongues will dry up. Because you don't want to lose sense of self. You like to keep control over yourself. And so we'll resist praying in the Holy Ghost sometimes. You go for days and months sometimes without praying in tongues. Unless you're praying with someone for a specific purpose. I hope they ain't burning this building down out there. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You, Bob, I got to see what's going on. Now, my nose ain't... You doing good, girls? Oh, yes, ma'am. I smell something. What is it, just your burners? Yes, oh, okay, all right. All right, it's still... Yeah. Praise the Lord, Amen. <laughs> Praise God, Amen. He's worthy. So, so, so he immediately gets filled with the Spirit. That's why the fear goes. That's why the you leave. That's why your control over your conversation leaves. That's how you can get up and talk to a rank stranger and and don't care if they don't like what you say. You're not afraid of yourself because you're drunk. You have lost all sense of who you are because you're now filled with the Spirit of God and you are from another world. You're not tied into anything this earth has restrictions on you for. You're not. You're a different person. That's why it's good to pray. And if I have to go somewhere and I'm suspecting God wants me to do something, I'll pray in the Holy Ghost until I get there. Amen? Amen. I remember the time our cars were, was our prayer closet. You could get in there and you could pray. You could blast your worship music. You could do everything, but you got active in the spirit because you knew you had to transform yourself into that other person that would fearlessly take the message of the gospel because you walk with God. And so that's what happened with Paul. That's how he got up and started preaching the water of the word that was in him as a Pharisee and as a student of Gamaliel who was a, a teacher. It wasn't a school of the prophets anymore, but it was a school of ministers. It was a school of Pharisees. That's that's how all of his knowledge got transformed it's from water that just fed him. Now it's turning into wine that intoxicates him. Yeah. And he trusts. Uh, he he is loosed from his restrictions, his fleshly restrictions on himself, and now he's able to open his mouth only, and God begins to fill it with words, and those words begin to flow. They're rivers of living water flowing out of him, and those rivers have been been in there all along, but now it's alive. Because the Holy Spirit is controlled and he's filled with the spirit of God. So you do get transformed. You do turn into another person. You do have that, that, uh, difference about you, you know, that people will notice, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit will keep you a little low key on the dial. You know what I'm saying? So you don't scare everybody out of their wits, but when it turns on, it's on, man. It's, I mean, it's really on and so uh, as long as you're being obedient to the spirit of god it's important to do exactly what god tells you to do and only what he tells you to do Amen. you let that that wine of the word intoxicate you yeah. and you uh flow as long as god says flow don't don't get back in yourself and start to add to it and Keep it going beyond where God wants it to go. But if you'll learn how to be like a faucet, you know, when it's turned on, it's on. Turn it off when it's off. And don't try to add anything to it. You have to have a discipline. And I think this was one of the things Paul had going for him. He was a very disciplined Jew. Very much so, and he knew how to be obedient to the Spirit of God. he knew when he needed revelation from God, he knew when to pray in the spirit, he knew when to minister he He walked it out almost perfectly, but there were times where he crawled as well, so we see him starting out crawling, and now all again, all of a sudden he 's standing up again he 's in that confidence he's in that position with God, where he understands. The things that need to be preached to the Jews, that's where he first starts out in the synagogue. And it says, verse 23, after many days were fulfilled, now he gets many days of walking with God, confident, upright, like we do. Does everything's going well. Uh, we know that we're waiting on God to answer this prayer, but we're not fretting about it. We're not worried. We're in the spirit. And so after many days of doing this, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their lying in a wait was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. But then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. So here he's crawling again. He can't confidently go in front of the Pharisees. Some people said, say that I don't know if there's any evidence of that, but that, that was the dung basket they let him down in. So, you know, it's, you want a poop ride down (laughs) there, ride in a poop elevator, that's what he had. And, but, but humbled himself he did, and he left Damascus, and then he went to Jerusalem, where he has to crawl some more, be introduced to the disciples, for their approval and acceptance because they are the heads of the church. And so they accept Paul as one of, of their own uh, once he gets to Jerusalem. They pray and ask God and they see that that by evidence Paul is one of them. So Paul then is able to uh, walk, crawl, no, crawl, walk, crawl, and walk. When he gets to Jerusalem, he's accepted by the brethren and he starts on his ministry And we know that there were many crawls after that, just like in our life. There are going to be times where we do have to crawl uh, before we can walk in some things, before God can help us with them. So turn to Genesis 37. Miss Tanya, how much time do I have, please? (sighs) Say it ain't so, Joe. All right, Genesis 37. We see Joseph. And the familiar story about Joseph is that uh, he was one of 12 sons of jacob and and um, he was a favorite son uh, back in the day uh, you could they took as many wives as they wanted you know their their out was <laughs> moses didn't give us no rules and regulations yet so the 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 people though freely sought god and so abraham isaac and, and jacob was the the line of believers at that time so joseph is one of jacob's 12 children his name was later changed to israel and so uh, he uh, uh, he has all these sons and joseph happens to be the favored son and so in genesis 37 um, verse 3 we can start there now, Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children. Hmm? Bad mistake. Because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. Well, what do you expect? And could not speak peaceably unto him. So they picked at him all the time. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him all the more. So if you have something valuable, don't waste throw your pearls in front of swine. Gotcha. They'll get angry at you and run you over. So, And he ta- gives them the, the uh, uh, details of the dream, and they see in the dream they seem to be bowing down to him, and they don't like it even more. And so Joseph starts out walking. Amen. He's confident in his father's love. He's got the coat of many colors to prove that he's the favorite. He's a little snippy because they said that, that at one point Joseph and his brothers were out in the field and Joseph watched them and went home and tattletailed on them, gave an evil report about his brothers to his father. So not only was he the favorite kid, but he was a tattletale of the family, too. So this is twice bad stuff. But he's a young kid, and he doesn't know when he's getting himself into trouble. He's just all caught up in him. And so the brothers get angry, and one day they have had enough. And, uh, uh, but it seems that Joseph does have something going for him because he seems to be obedient to his father. And that's part of the good life. You don't see any instances where um, his father has to correct him much or anything like that. Sometimes love can groom children into obedience. You know what I'm saying? They, favor can groom people into obedience. They don't all have to be cracked. And you know, you got to hit everybody a little bit. <laughs> correct them. But for the most part, love and favor will win people over. So he walks with God as best he can. He's 19 years old and he's still in his father's house. Soon he's going to be challenged to walk with God on his own. So at 19, he needs to be looking to get married and move out on his own. So he's got to be prepared for that. You know, and in with your children, you let them have little, little part-time jobs or little, you know, chores around the house, things of that nature. Then they get a little older; they want to start working. You know, a little fast-food job or something like that. Of course, it's more trouble for you because you got to cart them back and forth. You might as well get the job, but you know, they they got to get out there some kind of way. And so that's about where Joseph was. It's about time for him to step in. To his future and his having these dreams about his future is part of that. He knows that his life is going to take him somewhere. So this is a transition, shifting, whatever you want to call it, time. But it is also it's crawl time. So whenever God is preparing you for something greater, your life will take a nosedive. So it seems in the natural so god has to clear up some stuff in your life he's got some get some things straightened out uh, in your in your head in your heart in your manners in your activities all that kind of stuff he's got to prepare you in some way for the greater thing so the way to greater is less that's always god's way he has to clear stuff out of your life that's a distraction He has to get rid of some of your toys so you don't have so much to occupy your time with. You got to stay focused on him. He's got to have all of your attention. And he does that by giving us, taking our legs out from under us and allowing us to crawl. So in uh, Genesis 37 and verse 20, we see now the brothers have put him in a pit. They're mad at him. They go get rid of him for the last time. They're sick of him. They throw him in a pit. The older brother decides they're not going to kill him. They decide to sell him to some people who are on their way to, to Egypt. In verse 20, it says, 3720, Come now, therefore, let us kill him. Cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast has devoured him. We'll see what become of his dreams. Reuben heard it. He's the older one. He delivered, he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness. Lay no hand upon him that he might rid him out of uh, their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben's got the idea to take him back home to his dad because he sees these crazy brothers and went too far. And it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brethren that they stripped him of his coat of many colors. They took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. That coat coming off of him. Is symbolic of his change in status. From walking to crawling. Amen. They want to strip him. Of what the father's given him. Man. You, you'll feel like. God's not treating you right. Why does this have to happen to me like this. I should be better than this by now. I should be farther along. I don't need this. Why is this happening? Why is it always me? That kind of stuff. Well, you've just been stripped of your coat. You got me? But, you know, you got that one, you can get another one. You know, if God is your father, he gave you one coat, he can give you another coat. Amen? And you don't know, but the next coat might be greater, might be better. In fact, if it is God, that next coat is going to be a doozy. Amen. It's going to be something to behold. It won't be an outward coat, but this time it'll be an inward coat. All the inward coats are better than the outward ones. Anything you have that's showing your status in the natural, if you don't have something superior to that on the inside of you, huh? You just cheap. Huh? It didn't look cheap. <laughs> Seriously. Your wealth is really what's on the inside of you. That's what shows. Amen. That's what shows out on the outside is what's on the inside. God can, can show you how great you are on the inside by how people react to you according to what's in you. If you never let them see anything other than what's on the outside, They'll never see your real treasure. But if you allow that to be shown by God, he'll let people see your value and your worth. Quit being ashamed of who you are. Quit hiding who you are. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Quit hiding and let God show people your worth and your beauty and your value. And he'll do it. That's what he wants to do. He wants to show off his children. The father wants to show off his children. And his son wants to show off his bride. And so God will, will show you off like that. So here Joseph is. He sold to the Egyptians. Starting in verse 20. Uh, let me see. We did 20. Verse 27. Come let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother. Amen. And our flesh and his brethren were content with that. Amen. Then there passed by Midianite merchant men, and they drew and lifted Joseph up out of the pit. Joseph to the, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. Reuben returned to the pit. Behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. He thought they killed him. And they took, he said, where is he? What shall I do? But they took Joseph's coat and put animal blood on it and made the father think that an animal had killed him and had stripped him of his coat. And so all of the years that Joseph was missing, his father's heart was broken because he thought his favorite son was gone forever. This is the first picture sometimes we get of how God felt when Jesus was on the cross. I think, you know, just when you think about it, sometimes we think it, and if you read Isaiah 53, but it pleased the father to bruise him. But he grieved too. you got me. So it's not like God, the father is up there whipping up on Jesus and having a good time about it. You see that from from this. Theophany here, Joseph and his story. All of these are stories of Christ, similes to that. So we see that his heart was broken. The father's heart was broken until they got reunited many years later. And the Bible says the father's heart revived again. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, God, the father's heart revived again. Amen. So they're missing for a season. But when it comes back together, this is the story of our lives. We have people in our lives we love dearly, but they don't walk with God. They're missing for a season. Amen. But when they come back, our hearts are revived again. Amen. That's a picture of spirit. Amen. It's a picture of spiritual revival. So Joseph goes into the crawl zone. Amen. And then he starts walking again. Because as he goes in the crawl, there are gifts in him that he only dreamed about before that now come to life because he's where God wants him to be. God couldn't do nothing with Joseph when he was strutting around that little cheap coat. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and then he probably got scraps of stuff put together, but he put it on that boy and he looked good. huh? Just like us, we get a little bit of knowledge of God. And we want to parade it around. We look good and our little... <coughs> two cents worth of revelation, huh? And then all of a sudden that don't work no more. And now you back begging somebody for prayer. What up with that? <laughs> but that's your walk. Amen. Your walk is a crawl is a walk is a crawl is a walk is a crawl is a walk. Amen. So you're going to have seasons back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But God ordains for us. He will get us up off of our knees and put us on our flat feet and get us to walking again. Because that's his, that's his vision for us. Fully equipped. Fully matured. In the full stature of Christ. But it's a process. Amen. So don't despise the process. Your crawl is a walk is a crawl is a walk is a cross. Amen. Praise God. You will start out in a crawl. But you will walk. Says the Lord. The fastest way to walk is not to despise the crawl. Don't despise that you have to humble yourself to me. Because when I see you helpless, that's when I can give you my greatest strength. And when you raise up from your place of humility and your place of inability, you will find that you have supernatural ability that you've been crying out for. And the Lord is saying, this is an answer to your prayer. I am coming for your words. You have sought me for more ability, more power. You have visions of yourself working for me. And I am equipping you just for such, for just such that thing, says the spirit of the living God. So understand the workings of the spirit of God. I can do more for you on your knees than I can ever do for you upright. So understand the position that I've called you to and at the proper time you will be elevated in the inner man, in things beyond your wildest imagination. And that is for all of you. From the least to the greatest, it is for all of you, says the Spirit of the living God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So we're going to have our...